0: In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. And there is some celebrating today because not only do the Argonauts beat the Hamilton Tiger Cats for the third time this season, this one 31 to 12. Not even close. And it really wasn't close all game. They have now clinched first place in the East. It assures them of a first round buy in the playoffs. And it means that the road to the 2021 Grey Cup must go through Toronto. And not only that, they remain undefeated at BMO this year. They have an eight game winning streak at home dating back to twenty nineteen. It was a perfect day for the Toronto Argonauts. And JB, just before I bring you in here, I, I feel like I gotta steal a bit from the Argos fan cast. I gotta just crack open a, a, a beverage that is one of their traditions and uh yeah shout out to the to the guys at the fan cast uh as i uh, have a sip of a celebratory beverage here jb how are you feeling right now
1: yeah i mean i always thought of tuesday as the day that toronto takes this trash out but uh apparently friday is
0: also garbage day beautiful well said uh it, it, everything about this game there was never a moment like from the from the The opening, I guess the opening Toronto drive didn't go that well offensively, but you could sort of see already defensively, they were pretty dialed in. There was a a very clear game plan from both sides of the ball. But I want to go back even before that, just, uh, you know, as the game's getting started, the stadium was pretty full compared to what it's been uh, all year. There were a lot of Hamilton Tiger Cats fans in the stands. It made for an electric atmosphere because As I've talked about on this podcast before, the Toronto fans that are at the games, even when there were only just over 6,000 people there on a Wednesday night a few weeks ago, it's still a really good environment. Those fans are the loudest people in the city and when you add the loudest people in Hamilton to that combination it really made for an interesting environment like early on it was it was intense it it really felt it and then you know match that to the fact that it's it's a night game and the weather and and it's it's for the the east title uh it was it was a really cool environment so uh you know that uh that overall, I think, really set the mood for what was going to be an amazing night, especially if you were an Argos fan. So uh, let's talk about the game plan early on. It looked like the Toronto defense came out super aggressive. Were you worried about some of those those bombs that you kind of thought we would see? Were you worried when you saw them going to that, that cover zero look <laughs> and knowing uh, that they were going to just bombs away?
1: Well, uh yes. Uh, I was, you know, they were doing a lot of first first down bombs, uh, but full credit to the secondary, uh, they were ready, they were in position, they stayed on top of their receiver, they played through hands. I mean, that's the way you do it. I mean, you you should be able to play deep balls in man coverage, and I think that that's that is a really an absolute, um, you know. Uh, uh, moment of of recognition for the secondary because those guys went out there and balled out be able to go out there and cover those deep passes and man coverage is really fantastic work so I was I was worried but man uh, really um, happy to see the guys play so well in the secondary
0: and I know I had a lot of Hamilton Tiger Cats fans on Twitter saying to me, the Argos got lucky because they just couldn't connect with those deep balls early on. And if they'd connected, then it would have been a different story. But the reason they didn't connect was, like you're saying, the play of the secondary. But but also, that's what happens when you, when you send a zero blitz. You've got Jeremiah Masoli throwing off his back foot every single one of those deep balls in the first quarter. Where Masoli throwing off his back foot, and so you're not going to get an accurate pass. So the, it's not just like a fluke that these passes are falling incomplete. It's because he's under heavy duress, and because the secondary is largely in pretty good position. And how about that that play from Jalen Collins? That was if you were going to get a a, a textbook. Textbook example of how to break up a deep ball pass, that that bomb where he just reached out his hand at the perfect moment and was able to knock that ball away. Um, I thought, you know, when I saw him make that play, am like, this is this is the Toronto Argonauts like fourth corner who is in now. You you take out all the guys that have been lost along the way due to injury, and there's Jalen Collins out there making just sensational plays. So, yeah, tip of the hat to the defensive yeah, secondary. I mean, it
1: was teach tape all night. I mean, they were calm. They were cool. They played through hands. They stayed on top of their receiver. And Hamilton guys saying, oh, if that had been caught, it would have been a touchdown. I mean, the, the Toronto defenders were ready, you know. I mean, throwing deep passes on first down, we talked about it before the game. It was, you know, that was their plan. It was like, oh, well, that wasn't very hard to figure out, Hamilton.
0: And offensively, I thought Coach Dinwiddie had an excellent game plan. He seemed almost, when I talked to him after the game, he seemed almost surprised that Hamilton came out with exactly what he thought they would come out with, and it was what they prepared for. The The game plan was, you know, short passes, checkdowns, and, and he anticipated them having, uh, you know, quite a bit of cushion, which they were giving. So Hamilton was hell-bent on stopping the run, but they were going to give up ground in the pass. They just weren't allowed, allowing anything deep. But the entirety of the Toronto game plan, which was fairly simple this week, and Dinwiddie talked about that too, just how they really just had one practice this week. And the entire focus was those short passes connecting underneath. And that's that's what McLeod Bethel-Thompson did really all the way through the first half because you had such a cushion given from the Hamilton DBs. Uh, you had all hooks, you know, uh, quick little speed outs and stuff like that. And McLeod just kept hitting route after route after route underneath. And for a guy like him, that's, that's not easy. It's not his favorite thing to do. He loves to, to, to launch it. But you got to give full credit to him for being patient and taking what the defense gave him and sticking to the game plan
1: yeah he played he played a really good game i mean I'll get to more on him um you know later on but uh, you know i thought hamilton you know not having jackson at a running back definitely hurt it hurt he not having him at the backfield catching passes um he he is a very good running back um that definitely seemed to take the steam out of that out of that team because you know, they came in with this plan to like, what, throw the ball 50 yards down the field every time they got it. It was, it was a very weird game plan. And, and, you know, they look like the third best team in the conference and uh, you know, and we're, I think the score reflects that.
0: Yeah. uh, I I can't argue with any of that. And I really don't know what the offensive game plan was for the Tiger cats defensively is pretty clear. And it backfired. They were gambling that McLeod wasn't going to have the patience to endure uh, taking the underneath stuff all day long. And, and that that backfired on them a little bit. Now, they were able to stop the run because that was clearly part of their game plan. Toronto couldn't get anything going on the ground in the first half. I think at the end of the half, I believe they had 19 yards on 11 carries. And I was kind of expecting Coach Dinwiddie to abandon the run in the second half because we've seen him do that before when the run isn't working uh he sometimes will throw that out and, and we've given him credit for that because we both think that's the correct thing to do now in this game I didn't see it that way I I at halftime I felt like they should keep pounding the ball not only because the score was uh was 14 uh, nothing at the half but because I did feel like there was something there I felt like in order to in order to continue to stop the run, Hamilton would have to keep playing defense the way they were playing and committing all their linebackers to the run. And what that was doing was opening the pass. And so you keep running from time to time, even if it's not getting those yards, because you want to force Hamilton to stay in that defensive set that they were going out with. So uh, I was glad to see he kept running in the in the second half. I thought that was, again, a really nice coaching move. I thought it was a, a great job coaching uh, from the whole Toronto staff all night. I, I mean, it, it
1: seems odd to me, like if, if you know, we talked about OCTC, like if I'm lined up against Toronto, like stop the run is not even on the second page of my game plan. Uh, you know, that's clearly not how the Argos get their scores or their momentum or their energy or anything. So very, very odd choice to make. But hey, man, <laughs> you do you, Hamilton.
0: So the first quarter ends uh, with a 0-0 score, which we also talked about. We were right like a few times today, and that so rarely happens, JB. <laughs> so 0-0 at the end of one. Second quarter, not too much early on. Boris Beattie has a, a a 26-yard field goal. And then Tristan Deku went down with what looked like a pretty nasty hit to the head. And I was starting to get worried at that point because, like I've said, there's so many so many missing players from the secondary. Um, and and Boten comes in for him. And at this point, the weather sort of took a bit of a turn. Uh, basically, when it when it got to that 3 nothing stage. And there's just a little note that I found interesting here. And this is, you know, bad weather on grass is a whole different ballgame. And Toronto getting to play all their home games on grass really is a home field advantage. And I've come to understand that more and more throughout the season. But you really see it in the rain. Because throughout that second quarter the grass which started off in really good shape was not holding up suddenly there was a lot of mud on the field guys were a little slow getting out of breaks and even just this little detail that i noticed toronto has these um small plastic cleat boards and if you haven't seen these before a cleat board is basically it looks like a looks like a cutting board except that it's got a bunch of spikes on one side and you just throw it on the ground and stomp all over it with your cleats and it basically takes all the mud off so that you can uh, regain your traction and toronto has a bunch of these they're all over the sideline every time there's a timeout or a tv timeout a stoppage someone runs out with a bunch of these cleat boards everyone it kicks the mud off their cleats hamilton had this like 100 pound device Uh, made of metal with a handle that was designed to do the same job except they only have one of them and so you've got players that are lining up along the side of the bench waiting to use the cleat board and then during timeouts this poor soul has to try and carry this thing out to the timeout by the time they got out there with it the timeout's half over so that one or two guys can clean their cleats and then suddenly they have to run back with this hundred pound machine and it just it was just an example of one team being prepared for the surface and the conditions because they play here all the time and another team not. So that just stood out to me um, about mid second quarter. And that's really when Toronto started taking over, too. There was a great drive uh, mid second quarter to put Toronto up 10 0. That was the Antonio Pipkin touchdown. And, uh, the, you know, we'll talk about this play a little bit later, I suspect. Uh, there was a huge penalty on the play where Santos Knox ends up getting ejected from the game. But what I want to talk about is going away from the quarterback sneak up the middle. We've talked before about, I know fans have expressed frustration, and we have too, about the inefficiency of Toronto's quarterback sneaks and how it's such a stressful moment for Argos fans and seemingly nobody else in the CFL. But a lot of questions I got were, why aren't there any running backs in the backfield? Uh, Why isn't there someone back there to either occupy a linebacker or to to sort of buck block and push the quarterback over the goal line? And the reason why is the Pipkin plays that we saw today, where you have the option to sort of Cody Fajardo it and run around the outside. And Pipkin did that on a couple of occasions. And and clearing out the backs allows you to do that. Suddenly you have numbers. If they're going to jam double-A gap, if they're going to put guys all over the middle then you you can go outside, especially if you've got a seal block from your your motion man, which they did. And so Pipkin got in easily for the touchdown, and he used that play later in the game as well for what was, I think, Toronto's biggest running play of the night. So that was a terrific drive, puts the Argos up 10-0 at that point, and it was just a, a huge momentum swing. A few seconds later, we've got Beattie kicking off from the Hamilton 50, which... You just don't see very often. I was wondering if they might even try an onside there. They ended up kicking it deep. They get the rouge. It's now 11 nothing. JB, do you try an onside kick at that point? No, I, I, I don't think so.
1: Um, I, I thought that, uh, you know, I, I just don't think the the percentages are there for onside kicks. I, I would only only go for one, you know, basically it's, you know, as an absolute last resort.
0: I think you've got a couple options there. I, I think you can do what the Argos did, which is boot it into the end zone, take the single. I think there's the option of really floating it and trying to get it to land at about the five and have so much hang time on it that your coverage team is right down there. Almost like a rugby restart, you know, that sort of thing, where there's going to be contact almost immediately on the reception of that kickoff. And then the third thing you could do is the onside kick, which I like just because, I like that sort of aggressiveness because you're already at the Hamilton 50. So if they recover, you know, they're getting it at their 38. Well, you know, they start at their 35 anyway. And I think sacrificing one point Maybe it's worth it. Ultimately, it didn't really come into play in this game. But I do think it's an intriguing option when you have an opportunity like that. Like, I don't mind rolling the dice. there. I wouldn't have been... I Actually, I think I would have been pleased with Coach Dewey's decision if he decided to go for the onside kick. But I can't criticize what he did. It was the percentage play takes a single point, And it's 11-0 at that point. And then they... They managed to uh, really control the clock well, which we haven't always been able to say for the Argos this season, especially lately. But they control the clock well. They have the ball right at the end of the half, and they're able to add a field goal right at the buzzer. It's now 14 nothing Argos at the half. Argos fans are delirious. Ticats fans got very quiet at halftime. But what an amazing start to the game.
1: Yeah, it was everything you would hope for. I mean, I would love to have seen a a quicker start in the first quarter, but halftime leads, you know,
0: I mean, the, the stats just show it out. You got a halftime lead. You're going to win that ball game. And especially 14-0 in a defensive battle with weather. And that was an interesting choice that Coach Dimwini had to make. So I, I feel like Hamilton really misstepped with their coin toss to start the game. So Hamilton won the toss. They elected to receive the kick. They didn't defer. Um, they, they elected to, to take the ball because I think they wanted, they're, in their mind, I think they wanted to get up early and set the tone. But of course, that backfired badly. And now you've got Toronto with the choice in the second half. And Coach Dimity, after the game, said that he considered briefly uh, kicking off, like choosing side um, and really thinking about taking the wind in the fourth quarter because there was a, a pretty noticeable wind coming from the south. It, it did impact the game. I don't know if it showed up on TV that well, but you could see balls that were into the wind did hang. Kicks were hanging up there. Passes were hanging up there. It was was an advantage to be driving towards the north end. So he did consider it, but he ultimately decided it wasn't enough of a difference to give up a possession. And so they took the ball to start the third quarter, and that turned out to be a great decision because they went on this massive drive that... Uh, took up over half of the third quarter. By the time Hamilton got the ball back, now it was only a field goal at the end. Their drive stalled at the four-yard line on a play that seemed like a little bit of a miscue. I'll talk about that in a second. But it to to take up eight minutes of the third quarter, you were already up 14 nothing. Hamilton's probably second guessing their choice to take the ball to start the game at that point and now you're up 17-0 and time is starting to run down and you haven't been able to get anything going on offense as Hamilton suddenly you're in a 17-0 hole and we're talking about the later stages of the third quarter I thought that was just a huge moment in the game and that play if it had been a touchdown there I think that was that would have been it that would have been lights out there it would have been 21 uh, nothing at that point, and I think the game's over. It was a weird play, so McLeod Bethel-Thompson ended up rolling out to his left, and there was no receiver over to that side. It looked like he was expecting the outside receiver to run sort of a whip route, like start off inside and then cut back to the outside. That's what it looked like he was waiting for, but it never came. There was no one there, and he very sensibly threw it out of bounds. He was well outside the pocket at that point. He just... Checked it out of bounds and and took the field goal, but I thought that was a really mature play too. We've seen McLeod Bethel Thompson in the past, not necessarily be that responsible player that's going to take you know throw the ball out of bounds instead of trying to make something happen. We've seen him throw across his body, throw across the field, uh, really take a gamble. But that was a smart play. He throws it out of bounds. They add the field goal, and it's uh, it's seventeen nothing at that point. Yeah, it was. An incredibly well coached
1: game. I mean, they, they, they went out there and they executed the game plan and there was nothing particularly, you know, uh, flashy or lucky about the win. I think they, you know, it was a fantastic professional victory.
0: Masoli did some pretty good stuff. Like he didn't have a great game, but he responded well. The next two drives for Hamilton were all Jeremiah Masoli. There was still good coverage down the field from the Argos. There was still a lot of pressure, but he was able to buy some time, which he hadn't been able to do earlier in the game. He's using his legs. He was getting to the outside. And that was allowing his receivers to free up. So just I was watching Brandon Banks a lot uh, during that drive, and just sort of seeing what what he was doing. And there were times where he drew double coverage, where it was really good coverage to start. Masoli would then break the pocket, force one of the defenders to come up. Banks would come back to the ball, and Masoli would be able to make a play. But if he's not able to escape the pocket, if he's not able to buy that time, the receivers weren't open. So that was really on him. Now, it was huge, though, that that drive resulted in only a field goal. I think if Hamilton scores a touchdown on that drive, cuts the lead to 10, they've got momentum. But kicking a field goal was a real... It was a psychological loss for the Ticats at that point. 17 is... You're still down two majors at that point. We're basically at the end of the fourth quarter. And uh, yeah, I, I thought that was a, a big win for the Argos defense to be able to hold them to just three points.
1: Yeah, I, I think... Um... You know, that that was, I thought about that potentially as play of the game, the Achempong sack. Um, You know, I think it was, uh, you know, the D-line just absolutely made a fantastic stand.
0: The D-line was excellent today. They They were double teaming Oakman quite a lot. You saw a center guard combo a lot on him. And, it, you know, so he still ended up making four tackles. He still got a few pressures in there, but it allowed everyone else to get after him. And while their stats maybe won't show up as much, like it's not like they had 10 sacks or anything like that. But they they forced Masoli, like I said before, to throw off his back foot, to rush throws. They were in the backfield all night long. You know who else really stood out tonight who I don't think had a great game stats wise? But Shane Ray came so quickly around the edge today. He was really fast today. He looked like he had an extra step, an extra gear. Uh, he was covering on the outside. He was, especially when he was, you know, to the boundary side, Masoli rolled out a few times and Ray was right there. Or there'd be a pass out to the back in the, in the flats. Ray's right there. And he, you know, forces him to change his path. So he had, a, he had another great game. I thought, in general, the defensive line, while it's not on the stat sheet, was outstanding today
1: yeah i'm curious to see you know um if they're sitting on stuff i thought the defensive line played really well played pretty conservatively they weren't a lot of not a lot of exotics not a lot of stunts um i I'm, I'm curious to see if they have another gear i'm happy with how they're playing now you know they're keeping stuff in front of them they're keeping the run in check they're they're speeding up the quarterback but i i, I am curious to see if they have another gear
0: a lot of their exotic stuff comes from the linebackers. It, it sort of has all year, but really today too, they did line up a lot where linebackers would mug and then and then bail. Uh, they, they were confusing Jeremiah Masoli quite a bit, but it, yeah, you're right. It wasn't it wasn't through stunts and twists. There were a couple. I think the Cordero loss sack. I believe that was, I, I believe that one was on a twist. But they just didn't have too much of that today. But they were able to generate pressure, nevertheless. So that's you can't really argue with that. Now, in the fourth quarter, uh, the Titans changed up their defense a little bit. They had some guys banged up. They had to move guys around a little bit. And McLeod started to find receivers open on the outside, outbreaking routes from receivers that are already lined up outside. The Titans were really playing with a heavy inside shade. And when they started running these, these outside receiver outs, you know, outs from the, the X and the Z receivers, and McLeod's able to put the ball in, there was a lot of space for them out there. And he basically engineered this entire drive down the field hitting guys to the outside and then of course you had that highlight real touchdown that drive culminating with another throw to the outside against man coverage to curly Gittens jr who catches the ball on the outside in space and makes maybe the best move I've seen all season just drops his defender on the ground with a shake to the inside explosion to the outside and he basically dances into the end zone from 5 yards out that was that was a huge play and that was coffin nails at that point it's 24-3 uh, that you know embarrassing the Hamilton defender at that point to go up by three full touchdowns i felt For sure, at that point, the game was over. Hamilton, if they didn't think the game was over there, they definitely did after the next drive. Jeremiah Masoli ends up uh, really engineering a a pretty nice drive, but then he goes for a wide-open Brendan Banks in the end zone, and the ball hits the upright. It goes off the upright. They have to settle for a field goal. I don't even know know why you're settling for a field goal at that point. When the score is 24-3... I don't think that's an option. I think a third down, it doesn't matter what the distance is. If you're you're on like the 20-yard line, you've got to go for it. And I know there are other people saying that Masoli's got to run on that play cuz it was wide open for him. There was he, he could have run all the way down to the 5-yard line on that play where his pass went off the upright. But I think I think you've got to throw to your your you know, your best receiver's wide open in the end zone. I think you throw that every time. You are just you're not counting on hitting that upright. And so, you know, we've seen that very same upright come into play before with Hamilton when their extra point went off that, that very upright to seal the win for Toronto just a few weeks back.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's bad luck. But, uh, you know, sometimes when you're not playing well, you don't get any of the breaks. That's how kind of how the football gods roll.
0: And they missed the field goal, too. That was, that was the killer. So yeah. they don't even hit the field goal. It's a single. So it's 24 to 4 at
1: that point. Yeah, it's the Boris impact. Kickers crumble under his
0: uh, majesty. And I do think there's something to that. Like, we've seen it too many games in a row now where I do think there's something. Boris, again, is perfect today. Another kicker fails. Uh, the fourth in a row, I think. And I, I think part of the factor here is that uh, field conditions, you've got, you've got kickers that are coming in that never play on grass. They only play on turf. They only practice on turf. And they come into the stadium, not only is it on grass, it's on wet grass, it's on mud. You're worried about your plant foot. You're thinking about other things. And that adds to the, the BMO home field advantage. So um, on the next Hamilton possession, I, was that a fumble, JB? Mwamba looked like he forced a fumble from up in the press box. It definitely looked like a fumble to me. What was the call on that play? What happened yeah. on that play where you yeah, worked up all out?
1: It was clearly a fumble. And the TSM broadcast, I thought, nicely, uh, you know, threw some shade on it because they replayed the play with just audio and no commentary. And there was no whistle. So, you know, they said that they called forward progress. But I mean, I guess the referee just thought about it in his head. <laughs> and didn't want to tell anybody. But you can't have forward progress called without a whistle. And there was no whistle. So those referees were refing the score, which is the
0: most common and the most irritating sin of referees. And it did matter because on the very next play, Masoli goes to Brandon Banks. He goes out of bounds at the one-yard line. Dan Evans comes in and quarterback sneaks it. Uh, I was highly confused at the decision to go for two at that point. They got it. So, you know, I guess you can't really argue with it. But the score was 24-10. They go for two to make it 24-12. There's no math in my mind that can justify going for two at that point. To me, the going for two decision is a pride thing. At that moment, they obviously felt, to me, that this game was done and they're just trying to get as many points on there as they could so that it was less embarrassing a pill to swallow and i i felt like that was i don't know i felt like that was at, at that point it felt like a misleading score 24 12 but that went away pretty quickly when chris edwards finishes the game with a pick six to add uh, an extra seven to that tally. So it's 31-12 in the final. Uh, I think there were two seconds left at that point. Uh, One other play I want to talk about uh, right near the end of the game there. It looked like the Argos were lining up to kick a field goal. It would have been uh, not, not a huge field goal, not out of Boris Beattie's range, but into the wind they end up going with a uh, sort of quick punt instead and that ball goes out of bounds the two yard line this was interesting because the officials were they were under the uprights they were ready for a field goal there was no one over on that sideline to try and gauge where that ball went out of bounds and Hamilton was arguing that it didn't go out at the two, that it went into the end zone. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what the referees were I mean, I don't
1: know. I thought, thought ha- called they're they're there I for I thought a field. Hamilton was right. I thought those referees were like I'm like, what? I don't I don't think so, but uh, I think they owed them for the uh
0: they owed them for the blown fumble call. Maybe so, but I've never seen that before where the uh, the ball judge came like sprinting over to the sideline well after the ball went out of bounds. And then he turned back towards uh, the umpire and he uh, shrugs. He's like, I don't know. I have no idea where it went out. And then he looked at the other guy and he shrugged as well. And so you could tell like we're, I guess we're just, we're kind of just guessing at this point. Because, and I, I guess it's not really their fault though, because they have to be standing under the uprights if that is a field goal attempt. You've got to be there, so they're lining up in field goal formation. But that was kind of a weird one, and uh, and then of course, yeah, the the Chris Edwards pick six. What do you think about Edwards' decision to take that all the way back instead of taking knee? I do too. Just always because it's because it's Hamilton. I, I think I think if that's another team, if you're playing you're playing Saskatchewan, you're playing BC, Edmonton, you know, someone that you don't see all the time. I think you catch that ball as Edwards, you take a knee. The game's over. It's just one kneel down at that point, but. This is your rival. You're clinching first place in the East. You're sending a message. You are, uh, you know, kind of avenging that last touchdown that, that really probably shouldn't have been on there because of that, that Moamba fumble call. So I love the decision to take it all the way back. 31-12 is the final. And yeah, there was a lot of celebrating there. So all in all, a, a pretty solid win for the Argos. When's the last time the Argos won this convincingly? Um, I don't know if they have all year. Like, is there another game all year? Yeah, the Winnipeg game. Yeah, but the but Winnipeg came charging back at the end. It, it, they yeah, made it close to the, the end of the game. This was just... I thought, this, I thought, was I thought this was right there. I would say those were the two best wins of the year. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, you were wondering who would show up today. And I think it speaks very highly of the Toronto Argonauts that they knew the pressure. They knew what was on the line. Everyone all week had been, had been picking Hamilton. The the, the CFL website, all the experts making their picks. Every single one had Hamilton picked for a win. I know. I, I mean, I just, I can't believe that. I mean, you know, we were, we were
1: down on how they had played the last two games. Um, but, I mean, we call it as we see it. I mean, if I thought Hamilton was going to win, I would have said it. I mean, there was no chance Hamilton was going to win. I mean, I don't I don't know where people suddenly thought that Hamilton was really good. Um, it was a very odd thing to think that Hamilton was going to come into BMO, where the Argos play incredibly well and beat the Argos in a game for first place. I, it didn't, didn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, yeah, the Argos played poorly against poor teams, but... They came away with wins. I I never saw that as, you know, the Argos falling apart or anything. Just I don't know, it was very weird narrative based, um, you know, picking. And I don't want to throw those TSN guys under the bus, but I don't know how much Argos football they watch. So.
0: Yeah, it's well, that's the, those specifically are the the CFL guys, but um, yeah, this just a lot of people across the board were were picking Hamilton today no matter where they were just
1: because you sit at a desk doesn't mean you're watching the games
0: it's true and in in some cases you're actually not watching as many games it's a bit more difficult to watch the games uh, when you have a job like that like even the guys doing play-by-play and color commentary you're watching basically one game a week because you're prepping for that game and that's the only game you're watching so you don't necessarily get to take in as much as as a fan does who can sit on their couch and watch every single game of the season if they want to so I think there's there's a valid point there. But yeah, you and I thought thought the Argos would both win this one. I believe our preseason predictions are now a crazy 11-2, and two, JB, uh, I know. which is, is nuts. I don't know why they needed to... I mean, they could have
1: just, you know, skipped the season and ran our simulation. I believe we had <laughs> Winnipeg and Toronto in the Great Cup, so we'll see.
0: Yeah, I, I think the only two we got wrong all year is we thought they would lose to Calgary to open the season and they they won that one, and we thought they would we thought they would lose to Hamilton on Thanksgiving, and they won that one And yeah. so, mm, so they, yeah that's it every everything else I think we've been and, on and so.
1: I, I think thankfully um, we won't have to see Hamilton again. I think Hamilton's going to go to Montreal, and I think Montreal is going to beat Hamilton
0: I think so too, and I think they've got a I think they've got a quarterback issue in Hamilton right now, because I wouldn't be surprised if half of that team thinks they've got the wrong quarterback out there. So just something that we may see take shape over the next week. And they've got a final game against Saskatchewan now. I, I, I wouldn't be stunned if you saw Dan Evans out there, because I think there's a lot of people pulling for him. So we'll see how that goes. I'm all for a quarterback controversy in Hamilton. <laughs> Let's do our players of the game, JB. So offensive player of the game, where are you going with this one? Um, You know, I've been really hard on uh, McLeod
1: Bethel Thompson uh, because I felt like he had given in to his more adventurous side and stop being the efficient quarterback he was when we still had Arbuckle. And tonight was a return to that. I thought tonight was exactly who he should be. He was accurate. He played within a system. He he didn't, you know, he was careful with the ball. I know he threw a pick, but I mean, that's okay. I don't mind. I don't mind a pick or two. Uh, I just can't have five. So I thought he played really well. I thought it was an absolute professional performance and exactly you know, I mean, I don't want to say game manager, but you know, yeah, I would say that like a pretty good game manager. Uh, and yeah, is, it's not meant as an insult. No, I, I thought he played within the system really well, and I uh, thought it was a professional performance, and and one really the kind of performance that made them find Arbuckle redundant. So it was great to see that he had that in him in a big game.
0: I love his stats today: twenty six for thirty four. That's 76.5% completion, 250 yards, a touchdown and a pick. That pick was a weird one. He was getting pressured. There was a a free rusher, the um, field half blitzed, and he could see him coming. He kind of got hit as he was throwing. He ended up having to throw a little early, and it was before Daniels could really get his head around and, and ended up getting picked. But, you know, aside from that, maybe I mean, he made one other mistake tonight?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's still a little loose with the ball right I mean there was another run where he was being rushed and he threw a deep pass in the end zone that easily could have been picked so you know I mean there's still stuff to clean up a little bit but I would say um, he you know he had efficient drives and he ran the offense well and I can see why coach picked him because like okay here's a guy who can you know stay on schedule and move us down the field and you know we kick a field goal and then we come back to fight again
0: My offensive player of the game is Curly Gittins Jr. I thought he had another one of his, and you know, when hasn't he had a good game in the second half of the season, but today, eight targets, seven receptions, 72 yards, and then that highlight reel touchdown that I can't wait to watch the TV broadcast of because I didn't get to see a replay of it. Um, I'm pretty excited to see that little sidestep that he did because it looked live. It looked like one of the best moves I've ever seen because I don't think the defender even touched him. You know, and they're they're a few feet from each other, and he just jukes him right out of his underpants, and uh, walks into the end zone. So, yeah, Curly Gittins Jr. sensational game. He's my offensive player of the game, but yeah, I can't argue with your picking McLeod Bethel Thompson. All right, where are you going for defense, JB? Um, some you know some some
1: tough choices again, which was which was nice. I thought the defensive line played really well, and you know, obviously. Uh, uh, I'm always a big fan of a chimpong and I think, you know, like Gittens, he's, you know, I think they've really found themselves a potential star. Um, but I'm going to go uh, with Jalen Collins. I think that he uh, is just a fantastic signing. You know, he has NFL athleticism. He, you know, he, he played in the Super Bowl. He, he obviously has the measurables and every game he gets better. And he's, you know, he's on top of guys. He's using his ability to stay over the top on guys. He's calm on the deep pass. He's got good hands. Uh, you know, I think he he's absolutely turning into one of their best in the secondary. So I, I give it to him. And, and I, I think that's a huge uh, development for the Argos that this guy is 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 putting his, you know, you never know when Americans come up. You just... It's hit or miss. And you know, they I think they got another hit here.
0: The question is, what do you do when Jamal Peters comes back? Because Peters is a guy that we have raved about, you know, and again, another discovery, another first year American who's coming up here from with a lot less fanfare than than Jalen Collins in terms of his college career. But yeah, like he's been he was great all season. He gets hurt, they sign Jalen Collins, throw him in there. And he's he he might be even better. I I don't even know. They're they're both outstanding. What do you do at that point? Do you do you sit Treston Deku and and play Collins and Peters? But Deku's been really good too. So I don't know what the answer is there.
1: No, I I mean I think it's a nice problem to have. You know I think you know you probably just keep them all and see, you know, go with the hot
0: hand really. For a defensive player of the game for me, I'm gonna go with Enoch Muamba. Uh, he was all over the field today. He probably ran about 10 kilometers in his, you know, t- total uh total field coverage today because he was making tackles on the sideline, he was getting in the backfield, he was dropping back into coverage. He ended up with a huge statistical night, but I don't even think that uh does justice to the performance. 11 tackles tonight, but he was largely responsible for those nervous feet that we Saw from Jeremiah Masoli early in the game. He was getting pressure when he was sent. He was really stuffing the run. Like he was single-handedly stuffing the run. And I know you talked about the difference when you when you don't, you know, you, you don't have your starting running back fully healthy. It's a little bit different. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 not to say that like I like Sean Thomas Arlington. I actually think he's he's a good back. But it just wasn't the same as what you saw last time. Uh, both in covering. You know, running back out of the backfield and in stopping the run up the middle. But yeah, you know, Muhammad did everything that was asked of him today and more all over the field. Post game was pretty uh, awesome. He had his, uh, his uh, little girl out there with him for the post game press conference. And uh, I don't know if you remember back at the start of the season, there was a viral video of uh, he and her. And he was explaining to her that he was now a Toronto Argonaut. And she was outraged and kept correcting him and saying, no, we're Alouettes. And so in the postgame presser, I did ask him a couple of questions, but I asked her specifically, you know, have you got on board with being a Toronto Argonauts fan? And uh, yeah, they both laughed about it and and said, yes, that she has accepted and embraced the fact that they are now Toronto Argonauts. And she was wearing an Argonauts jersey, of course, number 10. And uh, that was pretty cool to see. But yeah, perfect day for him to play like he did, to have his family there watching, to be able to carry his little girl to the press conference and sort of be the celebrated player that he was on a team that just clinched the East division. So yeah, great night for Enoch Muamba. He's my defensive player of the game. All right, play of the game, JB, what was the best play of the game in your mind? Um, I think the play of the game
1: was the Pipkin touchdown at the end of the first half. Uh, I think that it kind of capped off a really nice half for the Argos. Um, I thought it was a great run by him to, to read that, to not just try and smash it up the middle. Uh, but to take it to the outside, uh, I thought the energy that the team had after that score was fantastic, and it resulted in uh, Santos Knox getting thrown out of the game, uh, which you know just I think deflated Hamilton even more. I thought that was a turning point in the game. After i I thought after that touchdown and ejection, I had I had no doubt the Argos were going to win that game. So for me, that's to
0: play of the game. I'm having trouble coming up with one specific play. I really like that Jalen Collins' pass breakup. That stands out in my mind. There was an Enoch Momba tackle that really stood out in my mind. But I, I think I'm going to cheat a little bit and not call it a single play, but rather a drive. The drive to start the second half, I thought, put it away. To be able to take eight minutes off the clock to be able to uh, really shove the wrong decision that Hamilton made to take the ball in the first half down their throats and to come away with points. Uh, to me, I thought that was when the game ended. And so, you know, you're you're talking about a play right at the end of the the second quarter and I'm talking about a play right at the beginning of the third quarter. It's around that same time. The game was over and it was a, a combination of all of these things. So yeah, my my play of the game is that is that eight-minute drive because it just doesn't happen a lot in the CFL. You play the game was the third quarter? My play the game was the first half of the third quarter. Mm. So, or a little bit more than that. I know it's cheating, but you cheat all the time on these. You you sometimes don't even pick, like, offensive players for offensive player of the game. No, that's fine. I think
1: choosing a quarter is... We could have a new one. We could have a quarter of the game. Half quarter of the game.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, JB... Cheers to you and to all Argo fans out there. It was, uh, and still is, a day to celebrate. We probably should sign off now because I definitely have to get up in three hours to take my daughter to a swim meet. And it is the wee hours of the morning already. So uh, on behalf of JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long. And may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.